This is episode number 15 of the Bearded Marketers, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. This is a weekly podcast. We're dropping new episodes every Mondays. You can find us on iTunes or thebeardedmarketers.com. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Tonight, we got a good lineup of topics to talk about, but before we get into all that, we first like to talk about what we're drinking. Gotcha. What are you what, drinking what's tonight? Let's get loose before the exactly. show. Tonight, I'm drinking a sidecar. For those that have never had one, I highly recommend it. Cognac, Contro, lemon juice, very refreshing summer drink because down here in Florida, it is hot outside. So it's a great refreshing drink. Rob, what about you? Me, I'm drinking even more caffeine than I've already had so far. You might hear me talking pretty quickly tonight. Um, I'm doing coffee and whiskey. Gotcha. So it'll be an interesting mix. Speed me up and slow me down. <laughs> Your body's going to be confused. <laughs> All right. Tonight, we're going to be talking about principle number five, I believe, of a mm-hmm. six principle long series where we talk about the principles of persuasion. Tonight on the lineup, I think it's likability and personality. Next up, we're going to be talking about singling out competitors in your internet marketing advertisements and messaging. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to be talking about really kind of why people like things. We're going to be rehashing some of the studies that we've seen on why people give us some social cues that they like certain items for certain brands and what we should take away from that. And lastly, copy, but don't copy. I know that's vague, but we're doing that on purpose. So we're going to be retouching on a topic that we discussed last week about not necessarily reinventing the wheel. We had some feedback with some listeners, and we wanted to kind of help clarify some things with that. So we're going to be talking about copy, but don't copy. And I'll just leave it at that till the end. So you'll have to stay tuned. So first things first, we're going to be we're almost wrapping up our six-week-long segment about principles of persuasion. Uh, these, if you are new with us, are principles that uh, we are covering from Cialdini, who, if you're not familiar with him, I would highly recommend that you check him out. He had some great study work in the realm of persuasion and marketing back in the 80s. And the reason why we wanted to look at these items was was because, as Rob and me have really pursued online marketing in the digital space in the last, I would say, almost a decade now, we find that a lot of uh, the people that are new to this space seem to forget that a lot of pioneering work in marketing has been done for a long time. I mean, even popular shows like Mad Men and things like that delve into uh, topics and things that are centered around psychology and marketing that have been long established. And even though we now shop through monitors now or our habits might have changed, really the reasons why people make decisions might not have changed all that much. And so there's some things that marketers tend to throw out the window or not pay attention to because it might be printed on paperback, but those things can still hold true. So we wanted to relook at some of those old topics and see, you know, what is the equivalent of that nowadays? Right. So the principle that Cialdini talks about uh, in some of his work likability and personality, we felt that was really relevant to today, especially when we look at the online space. And we find that a lot of people online, it seems like are almost scared to create a personality or uh, an experience that becomes very specific to them. And I think why a lot of people maybe shy away from that is one, maybe they're uncomfortable. You know, maybe this means informal writing or you actually put a face to a name to your company, or you know you develop content specific to your site that that might get a little bit more intimate or take more time than just put throwing up products, throwing up white papers. This is you know a very generic about us about our company, 
And I think that sometimes it's very intimidating for some companies to do that. Maybe they feel like, well, maybe we'll make someone angry and we'll lose out on a sale, which is absolutely true. That can happen. You might offend someone with some small thing on your website, but that's true any day of the week. And I think lastly, sometimes they are a little bit strapped by their legal team or just old style of management that don't want to necessarily invest the time or the risk into developing a personality uh, into their company. Because, like I said, there there is some risk to that. Yeah, I think your second point there was is probably one that makes the most sense to me in terms of People think that a lot of times with online marketing, all you have to do is really get a product page up there, get mm-hmm. a product page up there, get a landing page, um, just have the ability for people to buy from you, and that's enough. Okay. And obviously, we've seen that sort of gradually change with social media marketing over the last few years here, where people are trying, some companies at least, are trying to make sort of personal connection, mm-hmm. trying to have a personal story with their online brands. Okay. But you know, that's something that you saw forever with local stores. You knew mm-hmm. who you know, you knew who ran the corner store, right? You knew their family, you mm-hmm. knew what their life story was. I mean, well, even their commercials yeah. might've been like that as well. I'm Don and I sell cars at my dealership. Exactly. You know, there, there was a personal aspect to that. And, th- and I think there is a lot of risk to that. You know, what, what becomes your company voice? What is the personality that you try to have as a company? But I think without that, you really start having a very sterile experience. It becomes when someone visits your site, it's about what we have, uh, whether that's a product, whether that's a service, whether that's me getting information from you. But there's really no other ties other than that. So your value proposition um, and the value that people are equating to you, I feel like becomes built on a half foundation, whereas when you can establish a personality that people believe in and, and, to reuse the word, you know, have some likability towards you, that's when you not only get people that want to consume your product or your service or become customers, but they also become brand ambassadors. And in in my opinion, they become more apt to talk about you to others. You know, when you create things other than just a really great product, but a very great company that people believe in and believe in what you're doing, I find that you you get people that are much more impassioned into what you're doing and are willing to talk more about it to other people, um, and I think that that's really become the the one or the bigger benefit to have there is, you know, you now have people that are sharing the message about your company and and now customer acquisition is a lot cheaper or you can you're relying on your customers to do it and it's much easier for me to convince my friend to use something based on my personal experience and how impassioned I am versus me as a company trying to go after that person and really try to sell them on it. Um, And I think, you know, to use an example that you, that you all could check out online is take a look maybe at some companies like REI. Um, They do a a pretty good job of establishing a a brand personality that, that not only are they experts in their field. So those aren't familiar with REI. They specialize in outdoor gear, whether that's, hiking, cold weather climate, a wide range of items. But they create a brand personality that not only is expert in their fields, you know, so they talk a lot about on their website that, that we are users of this equipment. So we field test all of these. We go through a s- strong selection process with all the products that we offer. So they not only create this personality that we are adventure people just like you. So there's this connection to where, you know, I'm entrusting people that are just like me to select these products. 
But also they talk quite a bit about sustainability on their site and as a company, how they strive to be energy efficient in all things. They are trying to have, I think it's zero carbon footprint by 2015 or something like that with all their stores. So they, they go through great lengths of putting faces to names with associates, executive teams, but also some of the strong tenants that the company has, um, which you can really get behind other than they just have a, a great, fantastic website and I like buying their products. There's some other things that I can really latch onto and would be more apt in sharing that with my friends. Right. Another company that's very famous about this, too, is, is Zappos. So you can explore some of their company, see their culture. Their CEO's even written books on corporate culture and what the personality of that brand is. So I think sometimes it does feel risky to delve into these depths of what is going to be our brand personality and what what's the message we're going to be putting forth. But I think the benefits there, if you, if you tackle it well, uh, can really be a multiplier effect for your company. So definitely assess this week. What is the messaging that we put out there? Other than what we have to offer, what is it that people know about us as a company? Is there anything else that we do that's actually really great here that we don't even talk about? Or is there something that we should? What are our competitors doing in this space? Is there a big gap that we could fill? Um, so think about that this week. Speaking of competitors, Rob and I were really talking about this week that we see, interestingly enough, on the online space, less and less people really singling out competitors and how that can be drastically different to what we're exposed in, I guess, real life marketing or, you know, like TV advertisement, things like that. Right, exactly. I mean, I guess you, the, one of the more famous advertising campaigns you can always sort of point to is is Apple back in the, I'm guessing this is early 90s, sort of went directly after maybe mid-90s, late-90s, I don't know. I don't know what century I'm in. They went directly after Microsoft with a lot of their advertising campaigns. Mm -hmm. I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, and they sort of made fun of Microsoft users as dorks, nerds. Yeah, the cool, cool, hip, young people, everyone uses Mac, right? Uh, But you you don't really see that translate very well over to internet marketing. At least I haven't seen it done very well. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of maybe thinking of why why do you not see that? And, And I don't know if it's maybe because... With TV advertisements, it's so very easy to create a story, a very quick, easy mm-hmm. to understand thing where you can attack someone directly for something that they're known for. So mm-hmm. with Microsoft, you can attack someone directly because everyone sort of felt that, yeah, everyone who uses Windows, you know, works in a cube and like, yeah, that you know, was uses Excel. I use that at the office. It's boring. Right. So we made something a little different. Mac made something different and, you know, attack them directly on that. And it's very easy to get those points across in a TV commercial, whereas with banner advertisements or writing um, a landing page. It may be a little bit more difficult to get the sort of point across. Mm-hmm. But I think I sort of dig, dug deeper on that. And I think I think the real problem may actually be that there aren't many online companies that actually have something that they're so much better at than everyone else mm-hmm. or they're so much different at than everyone else. Right. You can see so many online industries, and maybe this is just because of the low barrier to entry online. Mm-hmm. Even if someone has something unique it's only for a very short period of time before someone else can easily duplicate it. Sure. And, you know, a, a great example is maybe look at the kayak.coms of the mm-hmm. world and Expedia's and all these travel sites. 
I have no idea which one of these is better. They're all marketed and branded in the same right. way. It's more which one I remember first when I'm doing a search. <laughs> right. I don't even understand how there are like 10 big ones mm -hmm. even in existence. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, probably because one pisses someone off, so then they go to right. someone else. <laughs> or or someone just happens to have an like an Expedia account, and right. so you always book through them, and mm -hmm. that's just the easiest. It's just whatever. Right. Because they all seem to have the same price guarantees and... Mm -hmm. We always have the cheapest flights. Everyone says the same stuff. Sure. No one ever makes a concrete claim, so there's nothing to attack. There's nothing to directly go after a competitor for. But, you know, at least in that specific example, I don't think there's much someone could do. But I think that there are some, at least temporary examples, where you can attack someone for something specific. Mm -hmm. A big brand, maybe say, I don't know, an Amazon who's known for having really low prices and quick shipping. If you have a company that comes along and can maybe ship quicker than Amazon or has lower prices, which is not likely to happen, than Amazon. So we have a superhero that delivers packages right. for them. <laughs> right. If they had ads that directly attack, you know, everyone knows Amazon has the lowest prices. Or everyone should know that. That's my little call out. I hope I get a little kickback from Amazon <laughs> on that one. Um, you know, you should know that. So if you wrote an ad campaign that directly attacked, you know, lower prices and faster shipping than Amazon... People immediately know what you're talking about. They immediately know, okay, wow, like this is the cheapest whatever it is or their service is going to be incredible because Amazon's is and they're saying they're better. That's such a direct advertising campaign and you don't have to sell false, false promises like saying we have fast shipping. If you say we're faster than Amazon, I know exactly what you mean now when you say that. It's a way to get a very concrete sort of claim across and I, I just don't see that happening very often online. Yeah, I think you hit on a couple good points. I mean, especially from the concrete side of things, I do see people every once in a while make competitive claims. Like, we are better than X, or, you know, it, there's a myriad of examples. But oftentimes what I find is there's no substance behind it. It's right. just, like, really vague statements that have no quantifying aspects to it. Or it's just like, eh, well, okay, I mean... I kind of believe you, but you really haven't got, given me anything to go on. So I think people are a little bit worried about it. One, like you said, not a lot of people have unique offerings. And they have just essentially carved out a niche of traffic for themselves and a product offering that someone else offers. But they are scared to death of losing those, you know, those people to that service provider. But they don't really have anything unique. They haven't really invested the time to create or... An, see what unique things that we can have to offer. Um, but also, I think that some people just do a piss-poor job of understanding their competitors and be able to communicate competitive advantages in a clear, succinct way. Um, because I, I, what I found is one of the industries that I work in, which is really competitive, is home security. And, you know, we talk a lot about our competitors, which is actually pretty rare in our space for a lot of the companies and what we find is that as long as you provide your due diligence and exuding the information that you're giving about your competitors as concrete and is relevant and fresh, then we find that a lot of people don't. I think a big concern when I talk to companies about this is, well, if we talk about our competitors, people will go look at them and then right. they might pick them instead. Well, what I found is as long as you do it in a clear way, you show your research, you show it's relevant and it's new that people will take your word for it. Even though it's about a competitor, oddly enough, I, I might not probably do that in real life. People tend to do it online. Right. So I think re-looking at how can you attack your competitors to show your expert level, 
maybe it's not always about price. I think that's what always people gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. But I think we're coming to an age where people value service as well, whether that's your um, the service support for your product, you know, whether that is returns, a lot of other things have a benefit other than price and how do we communicate those well versus our competitors. So look at how you stack up versus your competitors. This is a good exercise that all you should be doing every month and looking at your competitors in your space. Who's coming into the market? What are their value propositions? What do they have to offer? Where do we stack up? And who can we go after uh, and potentially get users into our product funnels, our sales funnels that really trust us in that area? So moving on, we came across a study this week that was first, I, I first got wind of it through Marketing Pilgrim, but it was actually a study put together by Synapsis Psychapsy. It's a really weird name. <laughs> we'll put a link in it on the website. Uh, but what was interesting about the study was they took a look why people like things. So this is relevant to just Facebook, uh, but I think there's probably some takeaways to some other social media networks as well. But they looked at 30 of the top brands in a lot of different verticals and and surveyed their customers or their uh, social followers, I guess you could say, why you chose to follow this brand. And there was a, a smattering of companies, you know, it, it ranged from McDonald's to Adidas to Disney, Nike, Starbucks. So you can see a wide range. But what was I thought interesting about this study is what Marketing Pilgrim really talked about in their article was really the overall averages from the study. So what they did is they asked the panelists a number of questions on the reasons why they liked this company and which, if of any of the following reasons, led you to become a fan. So this won't total a total of 100 because sometimes they can be present multiple times. But So the questions were to support the brand I like to get a coupon or discount, to receive regular updates, to participate in contests, to share my personal good experiences, to share my interests or lifestyles with others, so maybe to be seen, uh, and research brands when I was looking for specific products or services, seeing my friends are already a fan or liked, so the uh, fitting into the crowd, so to say. Right. Uh, I see other people of my friends liking it. And a brand advertisement that I saw online TV... And lastly, someone recommended it to me as a fan of the brand. And I'm not going to read the percentages for each one of those, but some interesting takeaways on average, the lowest reasons why people led to become a fan or like on Facebook was someone recommended me to be the fan of the brand, which I thought was pretty interesting. I thought that would be actually higher than some of the ones that were talked about in the study. Now we've talked about on this show as well, Uh, When you're doing surveys, there is a science to it and how you write your questions to arrive at the answers that you want to get out of panelists uh, without them biasing what they're trying to communicate as an image to you versus what is the true characteristics of them. So that might be playing into, into those numbers a bit. But oddly enough, the highest number was to actually support the brand that I like, which is actually kind of encouraging for me because, you know, I... Sometimes when we look at some of these social networks and the aspects like, uh, you know, liking a company, we kind of look at that with skeptic eyes, you know, what's really behind some of those numbers. And some other interesting ones of note, a brand advertisement on TV was one of the lowest. It was actually second lowest. 
towards the top getting a coupon or discount, which is not surprising there. And third from the top to receive regular updates from the brands that I like. So there are some kind of interesting trends that we can take away. But when you actually go and look at the study from Sakapse, I'm butchering that word, <laughs> I found that there were some actually some interesting uh trends in the data as well that were were very interesting to know and and really one of the bigger takeaways I took when I looked at this survey was how even companies that work in the same vertical have fans that interact with their brands for different reasons now we could talk at probably at length on what's causing that but I think it's it's interesting to understand that when you look at averages even within same company sets, the motivations are vastly different, whether that be their social media channels are just set up differently. Maybe they just do coupons all the time. So that's why people like them so they can get them, you know, or maybe it's just a bunch of success stories all the time. And people, you know, essentially like that brand, a majority of them, because they see that content and want to get regular updates with that type of information. So just to to give you a concrete example, Two of the brands that it looked at was Zara and H&M. So for those that aren't familiar with Zara, they're a Spanish clothing company that is very popular over in Europe. And it's actually pretty popular over here as well. H&M is pretty worldwide. They're also in a similar vertical. Now, their clothes are a tad different, but they work enough in the same space that I think it's relevant to look at. So when you look at between the brands, H&M's highest surveyed reason why people decided to like them was to support the brand for Zara. It was actually close to the bottom. It actually was second to the bottom, but what was highest for Zara was actually to get a coupon or discount, which for H and M was actually fourth down from the bottom. So even for people that work in the textile, I would say probably trendy, uh, vertical within have vastly different motivations why people are actually interacting with them on social media. I I think one of the big reasons why uh, for H&M, the top reason is support and why coupons are really far down on the list. And I ran across their site when we were doing our e-commerce benchmark study guide Mm -hmm. that we're going to be putting out on the new website. They actually don't allow people in the United States to purchase from their website. Ah. H&M does not have an Mm e-commerce United States site. So that's obviously going to drastically sway why people follow them on Facebook. Mm-hmm. If you can't buy anything from their online store, sure. it's going to be primarily to say, hey, I like H&M because it, it's not coupons aren't going to be worth anything unless you have a store in your town. Right. So or maybe they just don't even have, they don't display coupons a lot or that's not the main driver of their right. channel. Yeah, that's another big point too is, you know, if, if you ask someone after the fact, why do you follow a certain brand? Well, if they don't have coupons, they're not going to say coupons. <laughs> right. Although if they did have coupons, that may be the, right. the number one reason why they mm-hmm. would want to follow someone. And, you know, I think you sort of pointed to this earlier, asking people questions and studies, you can get sort of swayed results. I think if you ask people, do, are you following them because you want to support the brand? I think that sounds like something that most people right. would want. Of course. You know, to get that <laughs> across. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. even though it has nothing to do with it, it just seems like something that they should be saying or should be doing. So I think that may be why that that is, is as high as it really is. Well, what's also interesting, too, is, you know, we talked about one of the one of the topics was to share my interest in lifestyles with others. Uh, in which you can kind of dissect that category a couple different ways. But Show for how H- cool I am. <laughs> right. So for H&M, that's actually, you know, second or third lowest on 
their totem pole of reasons why people mm. like them. Whereas Zara, it's actually their second top. So it's interesting just the maybe the demographics that they go after as well have uh, led their users to kind of, uh, like I said, interact with their social media channels a bit differently. So I think what you need to understand from that as marketers is understand the driving reasons why people are interacting with you on social media and how, number one, maybe you need to reshape that. If people are arriving at your social media channels and liking you and, and interacting at that point for a certain reason, assess, is that really what we want for a, from a company standpoint? Is, it, is there anything that we can do from a content level uh, or how we have essentially started this conversation where we can alter that? Um, because I will say, you know, to set someone up on social media driving just for coupons i don't know what the long-term value of that is you know we talked a lot about tonight about likability and personality and when you have people that are just in there for bargain hunting i don't know if necessarily they become as good brand ambassadors or necessarily long-term value customers as people that are interacting you with you for other reasons whether that's regular updates of the company or really caring about what your company is actually doing so I think first things first, you need to kind of get a grasp on what your social channel is looking like. Because as we've seen in this in this uh, study, it can be vastly different even from companies that are very similar from you. So understanding where your co- customers are at, where you want to take them, and then how you shape your content to kind of match those goals is really what you need to take away from this study. But I would definitely recommend it. Check out, we'll put a link in the website uh, we'll probably also tweet it out. Marketing Pilgrim had a link to a Synapsis study, which I would encourage you guys to check out and kind of just see the differences between companies that even work in very similar spaces. Very interesting data. Yeah, and just just one more thing to point out. You know, we were talking about H&M. They don't have an online site. According to Alexa, they have a top 25 ranked site in terms of retail brands. Mm-hmm. Still do not have e-commerce on the United States. You can select a My different country. Bro. But wow, the opportunity being missed out there. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on to copy but don't copy, I think we can just sort of, I, I wanted to clarify a few things when we talked about this last week. You know, we sort of talked about um, not reinventing the wheel when you're doing your marketing campaigns and messaging and landing pages and things like that. Look to see what your competitors are doing and see if you can use some of those elements to copy and maybe build upon mm-hmm. with your own stuff. And I wanted to sort of, Clarify, I think, maybe two main points. One being, uh, you know, be careful when you're copying other people's marketing campaigns and messaging and things like that. You want to make sure you understand their goals mm-hmm. and, and make sure that they're the same as yours. So you don't just want to directly, if you're, say, in e-commerce, you don't want to, say, directly copy like an Amazon mm-hmm. if you don't know exactly how they are trying to make money and what their goals are in terms of their processes and things like that. So for an Amazon, it, their, may, their number one goal may be to get people to sign up and become a member um, of Prime or right. whatever it is. And yeah, that's their primary goal. It might just be ad clicks. Right. I mean, it's, not a, it's not a site just optimized for solely e-commerce. They have many other goals for that company. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a great example of if an e-commerce store were to copy how Amazon does business online, you probably aren't going to get the results you mm-hmm. expect. Um, so you need to understand the goals, uh, the marketing revenue uh, of a lot of these sites that you're maybe going to copy, because even though they could seem like they're in the same category as you, they may not actually be. Mm -hmm. I mean, even going back to Amazon, their checkout process is great if you're already a a current customer. Going through the new account signup process 
on top of buying something can be a bit tedious. I mean, right. it's a, I think it's like eight steps or something mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, they're they far from perfect on some of their paths. And I think that a lot of times people look to mammoths in certain industries and look to just copy them. Well, Amazon's doing it, so it must be good. Yeah, they're probably doing it for a certain reason that might not match up to you, which is kind of what you're pointing out. So I think that's a good idea. Yeah, so I I sort of mentioned this before. We did a marketing benchmark guide of the top 25 Mm -hmm. sites. We actually purposely left Amazon out because I felt that they weren't a good model for other e-commerce sites to sort of benchmark and compare themselves to for that exact same reason. I mean, I think you're right. I think it's eight or nine steps, something like that, just to purchase something. Mm -hmm. It's a little crazy. Um, And so I I guess going back to the, the previous thing, so the next point I wanted to sort of clarify on too is um, you know, copying and building from there can get you to a certain point. I think, I think it can get you to a nice baseline, but purely copying someone is never going to get you to the, I, I don't, I hate saying this sort of thing. It sounds very cliche, but it's never going to get you to the next level in air quotes. You know what I mean? <laughs> there comes a point where you need to sort of maybe think for yourselves. You, your brand needs to be unique and different enough that copying someone else may not always make sense. Sure. That you need to sort of branch out. And from those baselines, do things a little differently than everyone else. Mm-hmm. All right. I so, think that's some good sage yeah. advice. So this has been episode number 15 of the Bearded Marketers. A couple of updates for you guys. We are about probably a couple of weeks away from launching a brand new site. So as Rob mentioned, we're working on some benchmark guys. We have some customer insights coming out as well. We are conducting some surveys and getting some research data that we feel is is important and and hasn't been really done in a good way in our industry. So we're getting ready to prep, show you guys that. We're also working hard on some video content. We we love the podcast, but it's also sometimes hard to communicate some complex ideas. So what these videos are going to be is some live tune-ups. So we're going to be walking through websites and whole entire funnels for companies and giving just spitball between me and Rob ideas for testing and how we would change this process and maybe some issues that you didn't even realize because you're, you know, you're working on this day to day and you don't get to step back sometimes and look at it from fresh eyes. So we're going to be walking through those lives, giving you some key takeaways, which I think is going to really help some of our listeners get some of the uh, takeaways that we talk about maybe on the podcast but don't really have the visual way to connect them so i think that's going to really help a lot of people that we've kind of heard some feedback with Um, but keep your eyes peeled next probably two to three weeks we'll be launching that so keep your eyes on the bearded marketers give us a call 904-270-9603 with your ideas your struggles what you'd like us to talk about you know what makes you bang your head against the desk on a daily basis that uh, we can maybe give you some pointers on uh, or point you in the right direction so that's what we're going to be working on for this week it's been episode number 15 i'm Corey. this is rob have a great week